My name is Jerry Lopez, and today we're reading my piece, Living on Easy. We were showing my film, The Yin and Yang of Jerry Lopez, that Stacy Peralta directed and Patagonia produced in Japan and had such a wonderful trip over there with so many good people that I thought I'd write a little story about it. And this is the story we're going to share today. I was born in Honolulu in the late 1940s, before Hawaii was a state. And if one could say anything about those early days, it would be that the living was easy. It was called island style, and that was the way everyone lived. Well, everyone we knew. The beach across from the zoo was where we usually spent afternoons after school and weekends. There were tourists down near the hotels and at the Sunday luau at Queen Surf, but otherwise, the rest of Waikiki Beach and Kapiolani Park was mostly locals only. My mom took my brother and I surfing one day at Baby Queens, and none of us, mom included, had any idea that life going forward had inexorably shifted to another path. We both had been bitten that day by the surf bug, but it was Victor who felt it first. His school buddy Stanford and the whole Chong family surfed together, so before long Vic had his own surfboard and was going surfing with them much of the time. They owned a country house on the beach between Crouching Lion and Chinaman's Hat, and often I also would be invited to spend the weekend there since Sister Marlene Chong and I were classmates as well. The house was large with a big yard and some sprawling how trees around an outdoor barbecue and fire pit. We would drive out from Honolulu Town, over the Pali, through Kaneohe Town, along the windward side, the ocean on our right, and majestic Ko'olau Range on the left. The east side gets rain almost daily, so everything is green and growing. In the morning, we walk the beach to find any glass balls that may have washed ashore. Although the grown-ups always got the jump, waking earlier and knowing where to look. After breakfast, maybe Mr. Chong would take the boat out with all the kids and fish a little or explore Chinaman's Hat or maybe spearfish the reefs in front of the house. Somewhere along the line, and without even understanding it was happening, I developed the little boy's affinity for this side of the island. It was like falling under a spell. There was its special feel, look, smell, and idiosyncrasies. I learned to be on the lookout for the Portuguese man-o'-war and so avoid its painful sting when the trade winds blew, or noticing how vivid and bright the stars were on dark nights without the town lights to spoil the marvelous effect. 
I had no idea at the time, but later on when older and looking back, I realize how idyllic that was. Life at that young age is full of questions and uncertainty, sort of like finding oneself on shaky ground. But those times on the east side were like putting aloe vera on a burn. There was a very distinctly soothing feeling. I look forward to each time we got to go. In a way, life is a little like riding in dad's car. It takes us on down the road, and at some point, a stop at the service station is needed to get gas to keep going. The weekends at the Chong's Beach House were that gas station stop. Then things changed. I began to run on another kind of fuel. Surfing started to fill my tank. I don't think I even realized that one had replaced the other. Surfing was the complete endeavor. It takes not just some of one's time. It takes it all. A deep passion develops, and while it's all one wants to do, it stokes a fire down inside that drives a person to be insatiable for even more of it. Perhaps that earliest harmony had something to do with it. I found myself living for about four years in Kahalu, way down on the east side, and spending a lot of time in the car, driving to town for my surf shop business, and Alamoana for summertime surf, and the long haul to the country in the winter for the waves there. Sometimes if I was a passenger, I would look at the Chong house as we zoomed by, I never saw anyone. A couple of times I stopped, but it was empty, and that sweet, tangy awareness that I used to have was no more. But surfing was keeping my gas tank full, so I guess I didn't miss it. Life happened, and the years flew by. The film division at Patagonia suggested a documentary film project and it must have been meant to be, because it unfolded like a spinnaker in a stiff wind. Not that it was without a few wrinkles, but by spring last year, we were ready to premiere it. A tour ensued. The United States, Europe, Australia, and Japan. The director, Stacy Peralta, did most of the stops together with me, except for Japan, for which he was busy, so I went alone. In the undertaking of this assignment, we never thought that something like a virus called COVID would have such an effect, but it surprised the entire world and put up some hurdles for the film tour. Japan only just opened its doors to visitors when I got there. We had showings in Kamakura, Sendai, Tokyo, Osaka, Fukuoka, all cities where I had been before with old friends and the film showings went like clockwork. The final stop was Amami Island, one of the little islands near Okinawa that I'd heard about but never visited. The monkey wrench was that a typhoon was inbound with an unpredictable trajectory, but more or less aimed towards the same place we were headed for. For most people, a typhoon or hurricane warning is usually a good reason to reschedule one's trip. For a surfer, however, this is a sure sign of surf coming. 
and serves as an attraction rather than a deterrent. And our entire Patagonia Japanese crew were all surfers. Of course we went. As we flew into the airport, the ocean looked spectacular from above. Deep blue with strong trade winds blowing white caps and swell towards the island. Staring out the window, I was mind surfing those waves on a downwind sup board or a wing foil. Still in city clothes, long pants and shoes, I could see all our friends in the terminal waiting for us in shorts and slippers. Yeah, man, at a glance I could tell they were all living uneasy. I couldn't wait to change and join them. As soon as I walked out the plane's door, something happened. A feeling, a smell, the green hills. I don't know what it was, but suddenly I felt like I was back in some place I had been before. I looked more closely. The plants and trees were familiar. The ocean had a windswept look I recognized. The waves were breaking in crystal clear water over coral reefs and sandy beaches. It felt like I should know it even though I didn't. We were greeted with lays by some old friends and many new ones, but with an easy, friendly, familial excitement. Driving in the car back to our hosts, Yusei's home and surf shop was eerily deja vu. When we stopped, I quickly changed into my shorts and slippers, and just that made me feel more at home in these surroundings. A quick walk down to the beach to connect with the sand and the water, touching them, and seeing the weathered siding on the homes that comes from living on a windward shore gave me an astonishing revelation for the strong sensations I was having. I was back at the Chong's house on the east side from 65 years ago. That loving feeling had never left. It just needed the right coaxing to come rushing back like it always had before. Good feelings are strange and powerful. We usually take them for granted as we revel in them, never thinking how deep they go or how long they last. The rest of our trip was totally smooth and seamless, just as one would expect with family and friends. We drove to the other side of the island, for me, the whole way looking and feeling like Hawaii. We surfed excellent waves with dear friends, ate great food, talk story. Yep, life was very good. The next day, we showed the film to the local surf community, who were an awesome audience. That evening, with the hurricane hovering just over the horizon, we flew out, arriving late into Tokyo. The typhoon hit Okinawa, but maybe all the good vibes were strong enough to cause the storm to veer away from Amami Oshima. It was a wonderful trip island style the entire way, and one I won't soon forget. I left the little island and its tight surf tribe with an absolutely full tank of premium grade fuel, and I'll just bet that everyone else was topped off too.
At Patagonia, we cover stories that range from the detailed gear needed for alpine climbing to the fight for a sacred indigenous land, to the experience of being inside an athlete's head. Sure, we're a company that makes gear for getting outside, but we're also a company that cares about the future of planet Earth. The stories we share here will hopefully inspire you to do the same, or just to make some time to go outside. See you next time for more stories to get you out there.